Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We continue our series of messages rooted and grounded, rooted in the love of Christ and grounded for the Christian faith. As I said last week, last week's message was one of the hardest messages I've ever preached in my life. I, it's hard to bring the correction, and that's the neat thing about God's Word, though, is that when it needs to be brought is when you preach through a book of the Bible, like we so often do, when you come to the next verse, that's the verse that you have to preach. And so last week was a very difficult message when we are talking about Christians who know better. They should know what they should be doing, but yet so many aren't doing what they should be doing. And that's not easy. That's not easy to hear. That's not easy to talk about, but yet a hard message. If last week was a hard message, this message could possibly be the most needed message that we need to hear. If last week's was one that we uh, should have heard, but yet a hard message, this week is one that needs to be announced, needs to be proclaimed in the face of everything that we see that is going on in our country today. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and before I read, I, I let the second, the first service know, our celebrate service, that uh, this message got so long as I was writing and preparing that this is actually just part one of a two-part sermon. So if you want to hear the whole sermon, you've got to come back next week. So this part is only two hours long instead of a total four hours. But uh, nonetheless, we will read all of the verses here today, but we will only get through verse 19. So we'll start in verse 17. We'll only get through verse 19, but we'll read the whole thing so you can have it in context. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Oh, what a verse that our country needs to hear. Oh, what a verse that defines our country as we see it today. Verse 20. Or 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Father God, I pray that as we speak from your word today, the verses that just so happen to come up in our text today, Father, in light of everything that we have seen and everything that we are seeing that's going on in our country, Father, may we speak the truth in love today. May our hearts grow closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, please be seated. Today's message is entitled Before and After. Before and After. We're not going to be able to get to the after. The after is next week. We're only going to be talking about the before. What our life 
was like before Jesus. You see, some of us have been saved for so long that we forget what it's like to be lost. We we forget what it's like to be a sinner. And, and we understand that sinners do what sinners do. And Paul tells us exactly, the, the in, in essence, in, in just a few short words, what it is that sinners do. Why sinners think the way sinners think. Why sinners act the way sinners act. Those that are separated from Jesus Christ, those that are separated from God, what is it that is going on? Well, he tells us before Christ, that's point number one, and he tells us several things who we were before Christ. So number one, he says, the mind is empty. This is speaking of futility. Go back and look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the what? The futility of their minds. The futility of their minds. So he says that their mind is empty. This is futility. The word futility, it deals with the word vanity, vain thinking or empty thinking. This word futility, it means empty. It means, it means vain. It means illogical thinking. Isn't it amazing how some people have forgotten how to think for themselves? We let the talking heads on television give us what it is that, that we think that uh, we should know. We let a perverse and and worldly philosophy swirl around us and think for us. And before we met Jesus Christ, we had this type of thinking, this vain thinking, this futile thinking, this, this empty thinking. And the world is good at this. They don't want people thinking anything other than what they're preaching. So they inundate us with so many things to keep the mind from focusing on God. And you know the number one way that the world tries to control through entertainment, through amusement. That word amusement, you know what that word amusement literally means? To muse, M-U-S-E, to muse. That, that, that means to think, it means to contem- contemplate. It's a Greek word. And so when you put the letter A in front of a Greek word, it negates it. So if the word muse means to think, amuse means not to think. And so the word amusement actually means not thinking. And we have a generation of people that would rather seek amusement than truth. They would rather just coast through life and not get to the bottom of what's going on and just accept everything or anyone for amusement, empty thinking, vain thinking, futile thinking. Go back with me to uh, the Old Testament in your minds with me to a story of a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon's story, his own personal testimony, if you will, is recorded for us in the book called Ecclesiastes. In the book Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who calls himself in that book the preacher, he's reviewing his life. He's he's remembering all the things that he has tried. All the efforts that he, he put forth himself to try to find meaning and purpose and direction in life. He begins in Ecclesiastes, the preacher, he, he begins, Solomon begins by saying, I tried wisdom intellectual pursuit. I I tried education. He said, I sought information. I sought knowledge. I sought wisdom. And indeed, I attained it. Then he concluded, after all the knowledge and all the wisdom came my way, he said, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Remember, vanity means empty. He said, it's all empty. It's all empty. It It ended up a big zero without God. He said, it's like trying to chase and catch the wind. And so he said, I, I've been thinking so much. I've been trying to seek so much wisdom. I, I, I decided I would lighten up a little bit and be less serious. He said, so I tried laughter. I tried mirth. 
He said, fun and games became my way of life. I pursued every mad pleasure that I could think of. And indeed, he, he did live it up, didn't he? He tried wine. He tried women and song and all of the rest. And having done it all and having tried it all, Solomon said, I, I tried pleasure. I, I tried laughter. And it was madness. He said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness, all is empty. This chasing the wind. And he said, because I was looking for purpose of me in life, I couldn't find it in wisdom. I couldn't find it in laughter. He said, so I, I, looked at, I looked for it in work. He said, I put my nose to the grindstone. I began to attempt to climb uh, the corporate ladder, the ladder of success, and to achieve things and to build monuments in my name and labors and houses and lands. And he said, and I did this with my own hands and the work of my own hands. I did all of this. But he came to the end and he said, once again, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, emptiness, emptiness. It's all empty. It's like chasing the wind. Life is empty, Solomon said. Life is empty. Life ends up a big fat zero without God. The pursuit of any pleasure, the pursuit of any profit, the pursuit of any lifestyle without God is a walk that ends to nowhere. With all the profit, with all the pleasure, with all the accolades and the applause, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all empty. It's like you try to reach out in front of something, you try to grab a hold of it, and it just vanishes. It's a mirage. See, that's what the world offers. The world says if you want to find happiness, you, you look for it in drugs, you look for it in alcohol, or you look for it in, in, in sexual deviance. You, you, you search for all these things, and when you start going the way of the world and you try to reach out and you try to find happiness, you try to find something that's real, it just vanishes right before you can grab a hold of it. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's like chasing and catching the wind. How many people today are walking in a direction that is leading nowhere? It's kind of like me when I was playing sports. I played football. My coach used to say, Baldwin, you run fast, but you just all, you run fast in the same place. <laughs> but that's the way a lot of us live our life. We're, we're running, but we're not going anywhere. We're running, but it's, we're running on a treadmill. We're, we're swimming, but we're swimming in a fishbowl. We're, we're not really going anywhere. He says, the mind is empty. The, the way of the Gentile, the way of the lost, the person that is without God, the mind is empty. There's futile thinking. It's empty thinking. Then he says the heart is hard. This is foolishness. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Now, number two is number two. He says the reason why they're alienated from God, that's actually point three. We'll get there in just a moment. But the reason why they're alienated God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So point two is the hardness of heart. The, the, the heart is hard. They're, they're foolish. Man's condition has at its root a heart issue. Verse 18 tells us that the, the, the problem with sinners, the problem with those who are separated from Christ, it's, it's a heart issue. The Greek word here for hardening, if you, if you want to know what the word means, it's the word porosis. We get our word porous from it. It, it literally means a stone that is harder than marble. A stone that is harder than marble. We use this term in our own lingo to say a heart of stone. Have you ever heard somebody say that person has a heart of stone? That's where it comes from, Ephesians 4.19. 
or Ephesians 4.18, the heart of stone. This word is used elsewhere in scriptures, referred to the Pharisees when, when Jesus was bringing healing in the synagogue. Uh, Jesus came down on the Pharisees because their heart of stone, when he brought healing to the man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath and, and their hearts grew hard, the Bible says that they had a heart of stone, that their heart was, was a stone that was, that was more strong than marble. Our text here before us in Ephesians 4.18 says that the the lost man's heart is hardened. It describes their inability. It describes our unwillingness to respond to God's truth. The parallel text to this passage is Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it, it describes men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Don't you believe the lies of the world? Romans 1.18 just so happens to be the parallel passage to Ephesians 4.18. Uh, Romans chapter 1 also just so happens to be the verse that talks about the sin of homosexuality. And yes, homosexuality is a sin. Don't buy into the lie that the Bible doesn't say that homosexuality is a sin. It is. It is. And Romans chapter 1 verse 18 tells us that men suppress the truth by their own wickedness. They're so blinded. Their heart has become so hardened that they don't even realize that they're walking in sin. It's foolish thinking, you see. They're suppressing the truth. Feudal thinking, listen to me, feudal thinking leads to foolish thinking. Each one of these sub-points build upon itself. As we walk through what we were before Christ, each one of these subpoints they build. Because of the futile thinking, because of empty thinking, empty thinking leads to foolish thinking. Where there is no God, think about it, where there is no God, where there is no God, there is no light. Where there is no light, there is no life. Some people reject God, some people reject Christ. They pride themselves that, that they say, I, I reject God, and they, they think that they're intellectually superior. They think that they're smarter than God, that they know more than those of us. And they say, those of us that are Christians, we're all foolish because we believe in Jesus. But you know what? The Bible says the exact opposite is true. The Bible says, the Bible says that those who reject God, the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible says that those who reject God, according to Paul in Romans 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. People reject Christ. People reject Christ, are not in the light, they're in the darkness. Having rejected the light of the world, who is Jesus Christ, someone asked Helen Keller one time, isn't it terrible to be blind? Isn't it terrible to be blind? And Helen answered, it's better to be blind and see with the heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing at all. I ask you, is it better to have physical sight, to see through the eyes of the head, or to see through the eyes of the heart? Obviously, the answer is very clear, to see through the eyes of the heart. Because you see, everyone sees through the eyes of the head, and the world has a way, remember amusement, the world has a way of allowing us to see things that are not even real, that are not even true, and we go to try to grab it, and it vanishes. The eyes of the heart, this is what, this is what Jesus talks about. Jesus said, I, I, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He, he's come. Jesus is the first heart doctor. He does heart transplants. He was the first one who provides the heart transplants for those who need a new heart, who need a new life. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save those that are lost. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, he's not talking about seeing with physical eyes. He's talking about the heart here. He said, if you want to experience God, you've got to be saved. But you see, people who are outside of Christ, they walk away from God. They walk away from God. They're they're blinded. Their, Their spiritual eyes are blinded. They live in moral and spiritual and mental darkness. This leads, when the mind is empty, when the heart is hard, what happens next? Well, Paul tells us the spirit is dead. Verse 18 again, this is fatality. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They're separated from the life of God. This separation, listen to me, this separation makes every kind of sin possible. From sins that are hard to imagine, from sins that are unimaginable, like the slaughter of Christians in Charleston, South Carolina, we saw just a few weeks ago while these Christians were in a a prayer meeting of all things in a church. And that young man goes in and shoots up the church. Unimaginable sin. Just like the school shootings that we see almost every single year. The big unimaginable sins, but this type of sin, the spiritual deadness, the the fatality that he's talking about is not just the big sins, it's also those personal sins, those personal pet sins that we commit, lying to our boss, cheating on our wife, stealing from work. This death state makes it possible to call evil good and good evil. To call darkness light and to call light darkness. Is that not what we're seeing in our country today? Don't you see the progression? People are calling what is wrong right. And they're calling what is right wrong. Isaiah 5.20. They call evil good and good evil. People parading their sin. Now I want you to listen very carefully on Friday with the Supreme Court Really, we saw sin triumph. And when sin wins, everybody loses. When sin wins, there are no winners. I understand that there are people that believe they won. I understand that there are certain political people believe that they won. But when sin wins, everyone, everyone loses. The truth is, whatever we do, If we do it enough, we get good at it. Think about it. This is what's happened in our, this is what's happened in our world. The more you're involved in sin, the better you get at sinning. The more you're involved in work, the more you drive a car, the more you ride a bike, as we talked about last week, the more you run, the more you, the better you get at it. That's a principle that we understand, right? The more you do something, the better you get at it. That works in principle for everything I can think of with the exception of a golf swing. Amen, guys? But if you do something over and over and over and over and over again, you get real good at it. And people have gotten really good at sin because they keep practicing over and over and over and over and over. And Paul here says that, that the old man, and we'll talk about it next week, but you've got to put off the old man. You've got to stop living constantly in sin over and over and over and over and over. People have gotten really good at rejecting Jesus over and over and over and over and over. They say no to Jesus, no to Jesus, no to Jesus. There's going to come a day when your heart will harden. Concrete will be filled in your soul, and you'll no longer be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
That's why when I hear people say, I, I, I call people to salvation, you need to be saved, you need to be saved, you need to be saved. And I hear people say, well, before I can be saved, before I can give my life to Christ, I have to get certain things worked out in my life. I've got to be a better person. I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop smoking. I've got to stop this. I've got to stop running around on my spouse. I've got to be a better dad. Before I can get saved, preacher, I've got to do these things. I've got to get these things in order. Wait a minute. You've got it backward. That doesn't work, does it? You've been trying to do better your whole life. How's that working out for you? Not too well. You see, that's why you come just as you are. The old hymn that we sing in in church, just as you are, you come just as you are. And when you come just as you are, you bring that filth, you bring that junk, you bring that baggage. And Jesus, he's not going to repudiate you. He's not going to reject you. He's going to receive you. And he takes all of that junk and he, 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 he does away with it. And he puts a brand new heart in you. He puts a brand new soul in you. He lets your, 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 your heart see the, the, the truth. This is what he's called us to. Today is the day of salvation. You know, I wish Paul would just move on with some good things here in this text, don't you? But he's got one more thing to talk about. One more thing in the sinner's life that he has to deal with before he can turn over to the good part. And that's the life that's reckless. This is filthiness. You see... Sinners, it's a snowball effect. It starts with the mind being empty, futile thinking. It goes to a heart that is hard, foolish thinking. It goes to then the spiritual death, the, the fatal thinking. And then ultimately what we're seeing right now in our country is filthiness. This is what sin breeds. A life that is reckless, a life no holds barred, no, no, no concern for life, no concern for truth, a life that is reckless. He said in verse 19, look at it in your text. See if he doesn't say this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice what? Every kind of impurity. That tells me that this is a life that is reckless. What a description. This opening phrase that they, having lost all sensitivity, this literally means that they are beyond feeling. He says it's like a callus. You've ever got a callus on your hand before? If you have a callus, you've tried to pinch it, you can't feel anything. It's dead. It's it's because of of a lot of uh, over and over and over and over callous sin. Nothing nothing hurts. They've given themselves over to sensuality. It's the act of throwing off all restraint and fawning itself. The sinner here has performed every impurity, and has lusted for more. And what they found is what Solomon says: sensuality does not satisfy. It only creates a greater appetite. Sin never satisfies. It only creates a deeper, greater appetite. Though many in our world never come close to approaching the debauchery and and reckless flaunting of some, still the culture provides a very comfortable environment for everyone's direction. What the world says is, if you think that's truth, that's true for you, but what I hold as truth is true for me. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong as long as you don't tell me that I'm wrong. That's ridiculous. That's preposterous. For someone to walk up and and say, well, this pulpit, this pulpit is red. This pulpit is not red. That could be truth for you, but friend, you are wrong. This pulpit's black. It's got silver parts and it's got a black top and a black bottom. It's not red. 
I hear people all the time say that, that celery is, is good. Celery is not good. You're wrong. You're wrong. There is truth, and then there are untruths. There's right and wrong. There's good and evil. And this world system, it creates this idea. Paul, notice what Paul says. Notice what he says. Look at your Bible. Keep your Bibles open and look at your Bible. They have become callous, having given themselves up to sensuality. What does he say? They're, they're greedy. You notice he uses this word greedy. They're, they're greedy, he says. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He uses this word greedy. It means to make a business of sin. They're greedy to make one's, biz, one's, one's business sin, to traffic in the souls of men and greediness. Did you know that there are people who, who bank in and take advantage of the sinful and perverse lifestyle of those around us? They, they make a business out of evil. They make a business out of sin. Our own country, the, a billion-dollar industry is pornography. They're making a living off of sin. What they say is right. They say, now, what is right for me is right for me. What's right for you is right for you. And I'm not going to tell you what's wrong as long as you don't tell me what's wrong. And so what's happened in our country, there's been so much sin and the church has been silent for so long. We've not been going out and sharing the gospel. Now we've been doing it in our church, but we've not been doing it out in the culture. And what's happened is we are now a post-Christian culture. And what happens with sinners, what happens with those that are lost, lost people begin to congregate together. Now, they may not agree with pornography. They may not agree with adultery. But what a sinner is going to do, a sinner is going to say, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life as long as you don't tell me how to live my life. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our country today. This is why. Have you ever wondered why the homosexual agenda has become so embraced in our country? Less than 4% of our country identify as LGBT. Less than 4%. A... Now, I, I'm from East Tennessee, but I do know this. I, I don't know a lot, but I do know this. If Now, I, I, my wife makes an awesome chocolate pie. Awesome chocolate pie. I can't eat chocolate pie. I'm going to die, and I'm trying to lose weight. But if my wife comes to me, and she makes this chocolate pie, and she puts this meringue on it, and she says, she says Wes, I'm going to give you 96% of this pie, or I'm going to give you 4% of this pie. Which one do you want? I'm going with the 96%. I know that 96% is a whole lot more than 4%. So why is it in our country that the 4%, a, 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 not even a minority, not even a tick on the map, why is it that such a minority has such a vocal majority? The reason? The reason? What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. I'm not going to tell you what's wrong as long as you don't tell me what's wrong. The reason is lostness. This has nothing to do about homosexuality. It has nothing to do at all. It has everything to do with lostness. With lostness. The life without Christ is reckless. Sin begets sin. Sin begets sin. In light of all that's going on in our country and our church, I'm going to read a response to you that my pastor, Pastor Jack Graham, the pastor of the Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas, the man that, that I learned a lot about ministry from. He was a former president of our denomination. He wrote this, uh, and, and many, 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 many churches, including Aloma Church, have adopted this 
as our motto, and we've adopted this as a part of our church. It's going to be on the screens behind me. It says this, as Southern Baptist Christians, we are committed to biblical faith and ethics. As a result, this body of believers stands on the authority of Scripture and God's truth as central to our lives. What the Bible says about marriage is clear, definitive, and unchanging. We affirm biblical, traditional, natural marriage as the uniting of one man, one woman, in covenant commitment for a lifetime. The Scripture's teaching on marriage is not negotiable. We stake our lives upon the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Consequently, we will not accept nor adhere to any, to any legal redefinition of marriage issued by any political or judicial body, including the United States Supreme Court. We will not recognize same-sex marriages. Our churches will not host same-sex ceremonies. And we will not perform such ceremonies. While we affirm our love for all people, including those who struggle with same-sex attraction, we cannot and will not affirm the moral acceptability of homosexual behavior or any behavior that deviates from God's design for marriage. We also believe that religious freedom is at stake and it's a critical issue. Our first duty is to love and obey God, not man. Therefore, we strongly encourage all Southern Baptist pastors, leaders, educators, and churches to openly reject any mandated legal definition of marriage and to use their influence to affirm God's design for life and relationships. As the nation's largest non-Catholic denomination, over 16 million members, we stake our very lives and future on the truth of God's word. We also join together to support those who stand for natural marriage in the corporate world, the marketplace, education, entertainment, media, and elsewhere with our prayers and influence and resources. Aloma Church, we have adopted this as a part of what we believe. We are protecting ourselves from a legal standpoint because what's going to happen, the, the, next, the next option, you say, well, how do you know what's going to happen? Places like Canada, places like Denmark, places like Sweden show us what's going to take place next. What's going to take place next is that when we preach or say something like this, it's going to be considered hate speech. They're going to try to pull away our tax-exempt status. They're going to do all kinds of things. And listen to me, this is coming. This is coming. And so we as a church, we are uh, the leadership of the church. We've come together, and we are, in, in the best way we know how, preparing ourselves to, to, to save ourselves, to, to position ourselves to where, uh, from a legal standpoint, we are covered. Because listen to me, if it comes down to preacher, you either marry homosexuals or you're going to jail, I'm going to jail. Now I need somebody to bail me out. (laughs) You know, if there's ever been a time, Christian, listen, if there's ever been a time that your country needs you in the game, it's right now. This church, 
this pastor, we stand in dissidence to the ruling handed down on Friday. I understand you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I get that. But when Caesar tells us to do something that goes contrary to what God has told, my allegiance is to God before my allegiance is anything else. Understand, this is not hate speech. I do not hate the homosexual. I do not hate the homosexual. Not at all. We're simply asserting that that they can't hijack an institution created by God. You cannot redefine what God defines. Now, if homosexuals want to have unions, they want to live together, that's fine. But it's not marriage. It's not marriage. God defines marriage in the opening book of Genesis. Marriage is one man, one woman united together for all of eternity. That's marriage. Now, no government, no judge, no president can redefine what God has clearly defined. Now, I'm not being a hard-nosed, closed-minded person here. I'm simply claiming what Scripture is teaching. This is not a, a, a soapbox that I am presenting. And Paul, Paul's doing the same thing. Notice what Paul says in the opening verse of verse 17. He said, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. What's he saying? He said, I, don't follow Paul. As I'm saying, don't follow me. I'm saying, follow God's word. Follow what God says. And people say, well, God says to love. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you are. Hear me. You are to love the homosexual. You are to love the one who's been divorced. You are to love the one who's in adultery. You're to love the liar. You're to love the cheat. You're to love the thief. You're to love the murderer. Yes, we're to love. But that does not mean we condone the sin. It's so important that we as Christians embrace this assessment without, of the world. Now, how do we do this? There's a few things I've written down. We don't have them on the screens, but I encourage you, if you are taking notes, to write them down. In light of our reality, in light of our reality, what's expected of us, number one, do not react out of anger. Do not react out of anger. Now, this ruling that happened on Friday, if you're a Christian, it should have sparked some mixed emotions in your heart and your life. It should have sparked something. But do not react out of anger. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. We're not to react out of something that we don't like and react out of anger and say and, 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 and go burn mattresses in the street. That's not the answer. All that's doing is giving Jesus a black eye. Do not react. Be careful what you post on social media. Be careful what you say. Do not act out of anger. Don't respond out of anger. Number two, our response also is not out of hate. Our response is not out of hate. We do not hate the person in sin. We hate the sin, not the sinner. Don't act in anger. Don't act out of hate. Number three, our goal must be the saturation of the gospel into this culture. That's our goal. Our goal is the saturation of the gospel in this culture because, you see, no government, no president, no political party is going to be able to bring truth and bring this country back to where it needs to be. The only person that can do that is the God of this book. That's the only answer. And the only message that we've got, the only message that we've got is the message of the gospel. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose again. That message takes things that are dead and makes them alive. That's what we must preach to the adulterer, to the thief, to the murderer, to the homosexual. 
That's what they need to hear because that message, that message is the only thing that is going to bring truth to their lives. Remember what we said about them. Guys, let's go back to that, uh, those, those five points, those four points from Ephesians. Can we go back to that? I want us to see those. I want you to see these. Can we go back? Do, 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 do. There we go. The mind is empty. Remember who, who, who lost people are. The mind is empty. The heart is hard. The spirit is dead. Life is reckless. The only answer for somebody like this, the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is Jesus. He is our only hope. Therefore, we must pray for revival. Number five, we must not forsake the clear teaching of God's word. Therefore, as I said, we are preparing uh, to, to take a stand on God's word. Number six, we must stand against the government that may try to force this on our religious liberty. One of our most powerful voice, one of our most powerful weapons is our voice. Finally, number seven, the seventh response to this is we had better get 2016 right. We had better get 2016 right. And this is not, again, this is not a political uh, statement. I, I'm, I'm not saying uh, Republican, Democrat, nothing at all. But Christians, it's time for us to start voting our values. This has nothing to do with black or white. It has nothing to do with, with elephants or donkeys. It has everything to do with the man or the woman that you vote for. Do they stand on God's word or do they not stand on God's word? If they don't stand... If they don't stand on God's word, why in this world would you ever vote for them? This picture that Paul presents, it's very gloomy. And this is where the message, if I was preaching the whole message, this is where the message turns. So I'm sorry for the gloomy message today. I really am. If you want to stay here for another two hours, I can preach the other part. Go ahead. One of you says, go ahead. <laughs> that's two. That's, that, that's 4% of you. I know 4% is a whole lot less than 96%, okay? We don't run this church the way the government... Well, all right. I do want to give you the hope and the answer, though, because the answer is right here in the text, and we'll get to it next week. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, your Bible's open, verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Verse 21, assuming, we have this on the screen assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The answer, the hope, is in Jesus. That's the hope. That's the answer. Our hope is in Jesus. You want to know truth? You're not going to find truth in the world. Young person, you're not going to find truth in the world. Truth is in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me.